I'm Riker, and this is Pilot. Yeah, that is sleepy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I see what you mean. I know the the you know everything after the next generation the <laughs> enterprise being an exception um they just have these long dragging intro theme songs now Yeah. They don't swing, you know? Mhm. Yep. Yeah. Should this have... week? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this week. Uh we um look back a long time ago uh <laughs> I feel like this is the wrong one. In a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> a long time ago, a little ship named Voyager was sent to a part of the galaxy far, far away. Sure. Uh, and um, only going Star Wars on this because we <laughs> opened the episode with the scrolling marquee, which is pretty unusual. I don't know if it's a marquee. That might be left to right. With scrolling prologue text that moves way too fast. It did move really fast. I actually really... <laughs> it, it almost seemed like you were being preemptively apologetic for it you just went in just belting it out so that way i didn't miss it because you know i would have bitched <laughs> god dang it make me pause this so i can read what's going on it was good though it was otherwise really concise uh yeah and in some ways not really that important because it just sets yeah. up the first scene which yeah after that it doesn't matter yeah so we're it's star trek we here mm-hmm. on pilots podcast we just wrapped up the hbo max showdown if you haven't been listening for the last couple of weeks you should go listen to our series on the hbo max showdown keep or cancel hbo uh, and now we are turning to uh our whatever episode of star trek we're of course going backwards chronologically from when the shows came on uh voyager came on january 16 1995 95 yeah the Next Generation had just went off air in 1994 and had their first movie in 1994. Uh, at this point, Deep Space Nine is on television in its third season. Uh, so the third season of Deep Space Nine is greeting the first season of Voyager um, before Next Generation starts its movie career and Star Trek uh, meets its inevitable decline over the next... 10 years. <laughs> so that's where we are in the real universe. Yeah. Nowadays, you can find Voyager on Netflix or on the preferred place where all things Star Trek is found <laughs> on Paramount+. Plus. Yeah, and we had talked about this a bit off air and maybe even on a previous episode, but we definitely remarked that it seems clever that they'd keep Thing, you know the property on Netflix so that way it's you know hey our old stuff can still be found on Netflix but you know obviously this is going to entice you to see what else is new in the Star Trek universe so come back to Paramount we'll show you all about it funnel men funnel men <laughs> exactly actually I'm finding in all my Facebook nerd groups that I'm on that there's a bunch of Trekkies in these Facebook groups that keep saying dumb shit <gasps> no like uh, they keep saying stuff like so uh Chekhov meets Khan, and Khan recognizes him, but Chekhov wasn't in that episode. 
It's like, oh, say it ain't so. Thanks for showing up yesterday. <laughs> what? And I'm re- or stuff like, you ever notice how the red shirts always are the ones to die? And it's like, oh my god, welcome to America. <laughs> Wait a second, were you are you were you born in America? Yeah, welcome to America. Where have you been? And what I'm realizing is, I think there's a lot of new fans showing up, making some really stupid observations, and immediately yeah. getting harshly ridiculed by uh, the traditional Trekkies, the lifer Trekkies. Yeah. But I will say, uh, from an anecdotal point of view, I think it's the case that the fan base is growing with the mm-hmm. new content out there. I would say so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if I'm no, you know, example. No kidding. Like, I, if, if it weren't for Lower Decks, I don't think you could have gotten me interested. Sorry. Cartoons. <laughs> well done, guys. <laughs> yeah. They really seem to be having a big plan for it. Whatever you think of, you know, each individual series or each individual episode, Star Trek always has a hard time getting its space legs. Yeah. Um, but the the marketing plan for it really seems to be there, and it seems to be working. Yeah. So they have a, a Netflix, I'm sorry, a, um, a Nickelodeon show mm-hmm. coming out, Star Trek Prodigy. They just had a trailer come out for that. It looks pretty good. Discovery Season 4 is going to be out soon. Star Trek Picard um, Season 2 and 3 are being shot simultaneously. Hmm. So there's a lot going on that's new and fresh. And to your point, all the uh, classic shows are still there to be found yeah. and inevitably funnel them to the new content for the new fans that are coming in. Sure. Anyway, all very interesting stuff. So let's, uh, unless you don't find it interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, let's maybe criticize our streaming platforms first. Yeah. Uh, and then we will set up the show for you. Paramount. Plus describes the series Voyager accordingly. <laughs> I was waiting for Thusly. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine Janeway is the captain of a starship that is lost in space and must travel across an unexplored region of the galaxy to find its way back home. Today's episode, Caretaker, Part 1 and 2. While on a short-term mission to track an infiltrated Maquis cell, Captain Catherine Janeway and her newly launched USS Voyager crew and the Maquis fighter crew are drawn 70,000 light years to the far side of the Delta Quadrant by an alien seeking survival, calling itself the Caretaker, as the Voyager and Maquis crews forge a tentative bond of survival. Janeway decides to cut off the escape route. Janeway decides. Sorry, let me go back to that sentence. <laughs> yeah. As the Voyager and Maquis crews forge. As the Voyager and Maquis crews forge a tentative bond of survival, Janeway decides to cut off the escape route homeward to deal with the aggressive Kazon Ogla, the Okampa's devastated world, and the caretaker who blames himself for it. Damn. Okay, that one is a lot more detailed. Let me get you what we have for Netflix. So Netflix says, for the series description, on Voyager's 75-year journey back to Earth, the crew members encounter unknown species as they draw closer to a mysterious quadrant of space. For the episode description, or episodes description, because they did lump it in, mm-hmm. um, while pursuing the trail of Maki Rebels, a newly commissioned Starfleet ship gets pulled to the far side of the galaxy. Short, definitely not nearly as detailed. Almost like this one's made for nerds. right absolutely i did appreciate that i only had to read one description and that it lumped them in together yeah um but yeah i I otherwise would know a lot more what's going on with paramount i don't think that the netflix description 
Uh, like, I don't think I needed it as much as Paramount gave me, though. No, that was pretty... That was pretty... A lot going on in there. That was helpful for our purposes. Yeah, we should have read that when we were coming up with our... <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. We just screenshot them. We didn't even read them. Uh, no, I think they're both fine. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of funny to see that. I don't know if this is intentional or not, but it's it's the way Paramount Plus... I don't know who writes those descriptions. I don't know if Netflix writes them. I know HBO has some guy in his underwear... Uh, who was homeless like six weeks ago? He's the one, and he doesn't afford any. He can't afford any pants. He writes the descriptions for HBO. Like in this case, I don't know if if they say here Netflix, here's our shows, put them on, and mm-hmm. here's the descriptions. I suspect that they would. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they would let some other organization be kind of marketing their episodes. You yeah. Know? So that I I don't know, but. Um, it feels a little bit like they keep it more generic on Netflix mm-hmm. and make it for the nerds on, on Paramount, Paramount Plus, which is you know where you're supposed to go for all things Star Trek. Yeah, well, I look forward to uh, continuing the comparison as we take you know steps farther back into the history of Star Trek. Right. So, uh, any scoring that you'd give to our our apps here? Um, not like particular score points, but I would definitely say that. You know, if this is like a face-off round, that Paramount Plus is our winner. Uh, I agree. Uh, I do want to comment that I, as a, as an avout Trekkie, a devout Trekkie, <laughs> is, is avout a word? Does that have a I meaning? I don't think so. As a devout Trekkie. Okay. <laughs> um, avowed? Maybe that's what Avowed, I'm yes, I think so. Does that mean the same thing that I need it to mean for this sentence to make sense? I don't know what you need it to mean. I as would say a- <laughs> do the one that we know for sure does. <laughs> as a Trekkie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Speak less, say more. Uh, <laughs> as a Trekkie, I try to watch Paramount Plus if I'm watching Star Trek. And I was watching a couple of the uh, Next Generation uh, Worf episodes recently. And I forgot how good they are when they're good. Mm-hmm. Like when they're great. Some of the great episodes are really great. And I forgot how much material Worf really had in uh, early Next Generation days. And throughout, when he had stuff to do, it really went deep. He was a pretty deep character. Yeah. Um, because he was orphaned and et cetera, et cetera, and things that don't we don't need to talk about here. So I was trying to watch some of those, kind of that thread of episodes that happens through the, that arc of episodes. I was trying to watch them on Paramount Plus, and I could not get it to work. It was like they oh, were no. clearing, they were fixing some issues. And I thought, look, I'm a nerd. I'm here to show that I appreciate that you guys are making Star Trek. I choose to watch Star Trek on Paramount Plus because I'm paying for it. <laughs> well, yeah. And because I want you to be able to track it and know that this was a good investment and keep going with it. But I cannot watch it because you guys are needing to get your shit together. So I moved over to Netflix. So that's just an anecdote uh, on Paramount Plus and uh, their, their growing pains. <laughs> yeah. And uh, my boyfriend Taylor was talking about it with us before we started the episode. Um that Disney Plus also really experienced similar growing pains that the first couple of months, um, that that was kind of the user experience there as well. So I imagine it won't take them too long to figure it out, work out the kinks. Not everyone can be, you know, Netflix overnight. It's not, Netflix wasn't Netflix overnight. (laughs) I know, and Netflix is honestly, I always bitch about Netflix. They irritate the crap out of me. Their autoplay stuff is just, it's getting more irritating than ever. I was trying to pull just the descriptions. market share. Is that what it is? And they're I'll just bet. like, let me just throw this in your face so you have to watch it, and then you won't be able to stop. They used to not have competition. Now they have mm-hmm. a lot of competition. And they don't just grow, you know, automatically and a lot. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. Um, that's where these things can be found. That's how we're feeling about those things lately. 
<laughs> All right. Now let's set up uh, this episode for you. We open to... Um, do you want to say something? Should we genre first? Um, I don't know, because this is what we watched. That's true. What do you think? I, was I, do I just feel like this is all. a quick... Okay. I mean, because if it were any other show, maybe... I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'd feel like this is a quick, yep, that's what we're watching, and then leads well into that. We want to do this quick. Okay. All right, so after watching this pilot, um, <laughs> let's see if the genre is any different for us than any of the other Star Trek pilots that we've watched. Yeah. Uh, how do you score the genre? The Successful genre or is unsuccessful? successfully showing me that it is Star Trek. I have no reason to doubt we're still in Star Trek. <laughs> that is all. <laughs> Short card. <laughs> I would add this, okay. that if somebody were to say to me, what is a Star Trek? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would think, wow, seriously? I don't know if I should be annoyed or consider this an opportunity. Opportunity, always. Come on, Trekkie. <laughs> learn, learn, learn. <laughs> hey, I'm thinking it, right? I'm at <laughs> least thinking it, it yep. through. <laughs> Pave the way. I would tell them it's a sci-fi spaceship show, but mm-hmm. the can't be kind in which there are aliens um, speaking English. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that it's more about exploration than it is in theory, um, with like defeating another civilization or fighting over some conflict or trying to claim back territory or anything like that. In theory. Wow, in theory. look at you giving a better description you of it know. than me. Well, I mean, I just, when anyone gets confused, actually confused with Star Trek versus Star Wars, I'm like, it's in the name. One of them, you're just trekking across the galaxy. You're you're trying to explore. The other one, you're bombing other dudes' ships on purpose. Yeah. You have no prime directive telling you that ain't the thing to do. There's no values. None. No morals. Uh, Okay, well, let me give a better pass at it. (laughs) Sure. Uh, It's about human beings, about three or four hundred years in the future, uh, after Earth has, like, gotten through all of its issues and cured poverty and hunger and shit. So we're in a utopian Earth that then sends explorers out to go check out the galaxy. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And meet uh, strange new worlds. Strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. I concur. Okay. All right. Good enough. Uh, So the broader strokes of that. (laughs) Obviously, it's Star Trek. uh, (laughs) And that's made really clear out of the gate. Uh, Yes, I would say the pilot successfully establishes that. Phew. That was touch and go. (laughs) All right. Before we get into it, we want to uh, give a a broad look at what what happened in this pilot. Thank you. We open to a Maquis ship getting swept into the Badlands. Starfleet sends Voyager to go get the Maquis. Voyager is abducted and sent 70,000 light years across the galaxy. Uh, the, find them, they, the crew finds themselves in a holographic waiting room, which looks like a 19th century farm where they're fed corn on the cob. Uh, they are sent back with two of their crew missing. Uh, they pick up a local alien who guides them to the Okampa, which is an alien species where the missing crew are being held. The Okampa are descendants of a ancient dead civilization that died when their world turned into a desert. Uh, and they are dependent on a creature called the Caretaker. Who put them there, honestly. Yes. Uh, and then, really, I think that's all we need to know for the setup. I agree. Mm-hmm. And then we need to introduce ourselves to our characters. Yeah, absolutely. So Chakotay, I think, is the first one I saw on screen. Do you disagree? First guy we meet. We meet Chakotay, Tuvok, and Balana. That's the Maquis crew. We meet them out of the gate. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we really get the most that we get on Balana when she wakes up next to Harry Kim. Um, they're in the lab after mm-hmm. having been abducted. 
Um, you know, they're both the kidnapped part, you know, the kidnapped crew member. Um, and they're starting to kind of get to know each other. Um, she was supposed to be Starfleet. Um, even said that she went into Star Academy, uh, made it into the second year before they mutually discovered that it wasn't the place for her. Um, you know, and she and uh, Harry had a really good chemistry, so it made me really excited for any possible future interaction with him, If with them. It's his first uh, mission in general, so um, he kind of starts to talk to her about his, you know, kind of he was dreamy about it. He's really excited about this. And this really isn't panning out to be exactly what he wanted to be. So it's kind of, they're exchanging these little bits about themselves while they're kind of um, talking about what brought them to this point, which I thought was really nice. And I, I could take more of that. Says I've been preparing for Starfleet my entire life. Mm -hmm. and I'm going to die on my first mission. <laughs> yeah, I was sad. So <laughs> that was kind of, I chuckled. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he had a good sense of humor about it. I feel like, yeah. um, they, they, had a nice, I don't know, there was a nice yin and yang chemistry yeah, here where she's a fiery Klingon, half Klingon, mm -hmm. uh, and he's keeps it pretty cool, pretty steady. Yeah. Uh, we meet him back on Deep Space Nine where we have a cameo from Quark from Deep Space Nine. Yeah, that was, I don't like Frankie, but I really enjoyed that. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. And Quark is setting up for the hustle, and he says, look, I'm, you're not going to hustle me. He said, we, we were warned... About uh, Ferengi in, <laughs> in the academy, and he goes, "Oh, wow!" Basically, <laughs> basically setting up for, "Oh, so uh, Starfleet teaches its uh, its cadets to be bigots." Yeah. Is that what I understand? He's slurs about point, my but... uh, slurs about my people at Starfleet Academy. Yeah. That's the direct quote. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna make a report about this. Tell me who who said what? Who yeah. said what? Who? And, who <laughs> yeah. Who warned you about the Ferengi? Right, and it's spinning out of his control immediately. <laughs> and he's saying, uh, 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 "Just give me all you got. I'll buy it all." Yeah, it's escalating very quickly. Yeah, and then he's saved by uh, Paris, Tom Paris, Nick Lacarno. Who is that? I have. That's not somebody we've gone over. That's Nick that? Lacarno. I don't know who that is. Just kidding. It's a hilarious joke for the Trekkies. They'll get it. Okay. <laughs> well, it wasn't fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll tell you why in a second. Oh sure. So um uh. I've been planning that all day. So, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so this is where we did a second. Now I feel like we're out of order. So I wanted to just talk about Harry Kim there because he was pretty fun. Yeah. I don't think he gets much to do in the show overall. Oh, really? See, but, I feel like I always, they give me really good bits of the people I care the most about. And then you get the very least on them later. I think that's who I'm always the most interested in, which is why Lower Decks really spoke to me. <laughs> good point. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, that's a really good point. Well, we're kind of getting to a controversial waters here now because we've oh, done yeah. the newer Star Treks. Mm -hmm. We got into the Berman era with Enterprise last 10 weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, and that one's sort of one that even the people who love it sort of accept that this was the death of Star Trek as we knew it. Um, <laughs> it's beloved by some, beleaguered by all, and uh, <laughs> hated by many. Um, but Which one? Uh, Enterprise. Enterprise. And now we're in Voyager where it was... You know, in a weird spot in the era where Star Trek had, to borrow a term from Brandon Braga, sort of reached its apex where there was the most content in production ever. Um, but, you know, like a lot of the Next Generation fans, when Next Generation was, you know, reigning champ, uh, didn't started falling off at Deep Space Nine, started falling off at Voyager. So, lo, these many generations later, um, you have rabid Voyager fans who are always defending themselves from next generation bullies 
and uh, and then we start to get compartmentalized into where you avoid your fan. My favorite is Deep Space Nine. It's like, how dare any of you? Um, you hold next generation as gospel, and that is all. And then you got some people that are still alive that had lived through the beginning of the original <laughs> series. Let's say, guys, it was really just about Captain Kirk, and y'all are a bunch of nerds. Yeah. So I just want to establish up front, um, Voyager, I'm very familiar with Voyager, mm-hmm. is actually the one that I'm the least familiar with. Okay. Which Interesting. is going to be controversial to a bunch of Voyager listeners who are like actively tuning out now mm-hmm. because if it's not your favorite, it must be because you're, you know. A loser and don't really get Star Trek. A chauvinist. Oh. Who doesn't like it because there's a woman captain. Oh, yeah. I could see that. <laughs> mm, I could see that definitely being... Because you took the alternate stance. Anyone who has tried to introduce me to Star Trek says, oh, you're a big Buffy fan. You would really love Star Trek Voyager. And you're like, oh, that ticks me off that that's why they would push that towards you. Yeah, because that's really the only reason is it's the most, I guess, because the um, because there's a woman in the center seat. I do like that, though. I don't know why there's um. Yeah, but it's as if to say that's the only thing that would be important to you. It's not the only thing by any means, but... It's kind of that representation thing where if you can't envision yourself being on that show, you can't visualize yourself on that cast anywhere. If I can't visualize like, oh, yeah, if I were the captain, I'd be, you know, this is my level of investment in this show. If there's no place for me on it, like, why would I care? Why would I tune in? If there's never going to be a female captain, who gives a shit? Like, we'll never rise beyond the ranks of homely female whatever. Yeoman. And um, <laughs> Yen- Sorry, Ensign female <laughs> it's pushing it oh. Um, <laughs> no 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 but what i mean to say is this is people who know you yeah right they're trying to find an entry exactly. point for you Absolutely. it's a very it shows like here's what it says it knows they know about you mm-hmm. that you're a girl so since you're a girl we'll show you the girl star trek but they know that a, a strong female role is important to me so it's not just because i'm a girl it's because i've identified as a woman, that is important to me. But what I know of you as a TV fan, mm-hmm. I think Deep Space Nine would, would... I think it's more bingeable because it's more serialized. Maybe. But then you don't know... If you think that that's the thing for me, then you don't fully understand how revolting I find the Ferengi. <laughs> I just can't with Deep Space Nine. I'm sorry. I'll watch the pilot because that's what I'm contracted to do. <laughs> the Ferengi are the worst part of it. It I, makes yeah. it the hardest to watch. Yeah, I, that was what Alicia was super into. She was all about Deep Space Nine, and I just, I couldn't. Oh, so she tried with that one. Oh, yeah. No, I've had, Trekkies have been in my circles forever. Like, don't get yeah. me wrong. It's not that people haven't tried. It's yeah. just, you know, I'm picky. I, like all nerds, I'm picky. It's by the time you get to the Dominion War, though. It's where it really gets into the meat of what was this series about. Yeah. Once you get through a bunch of the early... Se- but there's like... It's rough. It's a rough Early game. any Star Trek seems to be pretty so touch and bad. go. So Even bad. Even Discovery. Like, I haven't seen any of it aside from the pilot with you, but just reading the different articles that are coming out and they're like, oh yeah, well, that, I mean, even you said they rediscover themselves or reinvent themselves, what, season three? Yeah. <laughs> season three is where it's at and we have a female captain now yeah. see? on Discovery. And Second that's female compelling captain. to me as well, just saying. But see, now I would start with that one. Mm-hmm. See, at a different point in time, I would have thought, hmm, which one is she going to like more? I would think maybe, um, because Buffy's campy too and Voyager's campy. It is, um, and I do appreciate that about, like, if you know that that's what you're expecting, I can appreciate that. Um, yeah. What I did notice about it, um, and I'm kind of getting into my Jane Way notes, I guess. Great, um, let's do that. Yeah, I just appreciated that I, I kind of called her Captain Compassion. She really, like, she knows the family of the crew. Mm-hmm. 
you know, even if she doesn't know the crew member now, well, she has spoken to the family of that person. And I just, I don't know. I, I'm just more invested in the compassion that goes into the decision making rather than the cold pragmatism that I seem to see with other captains. I'm not saying that they're heartless by any means, but they're not as transparent with it being a compassionate move. It's masked as pragmatic because that's manly. <laughs> uh, it was Major League Newsworthy at the time yeah. that there was a female captain. Mm-hmm. And I think in they're, they're going out of their way to find her voice early on yeah. and to disambiguate that voice from the captains that came before. Yeah. I would note, which I forgot this, that she had a boyfriend and a dog back on mm, Earth. I loved that. I put Mark, her uh, lover and dog sitter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she's the only captain we've ever had at this point uh, who's not single. Mm. Kirk was, you know. Are we counting Lower Decks? Um, the captain was married. No, that hadn't happened yet. I mean, when the show came oh, out. Oh, okay. Yeah. As of this. Okay, I see yeah. what you're saying. You're not yeah, like Voyager's today, coming out. but no, as no. of this airing. Yeah, when Voyager Sorry. came out. And Lower Deck's a little different, too, mm-hmm. because, you know, they're not the main characters. So Yeah, I suppose. So it's just a different... <laughs> it's just sort of a, an oddball comparison. Okay. It's also a cartoon. Like, you know, yeah. I... But I, I'm not meaning to omit it. I'm just saying that at this point in time, you had Kirk, uh, Picard, Cisco. The center chair is pretty is a pretty lonely and solitary environment. Mm-hmm. So when you say Captain Compassion, you're talking about a well-adjusted person mm-hmm. more so than any of the other captains we've yes. seen. Um, a well-adjusted person with a n- relatively normal personal life. Mm-hmm. Uh, who who the I would say the writers clearly put in her voice to be compassionate. Yeah, but be strong so i think they try real hard to find how do we give her how do we establish her authority quickly like when she meets harry kim and um uh whomever else was there it might have been paris and harry Mm -hmm. kim and yeah it was those two and he calls her sir and she says starfleet protocol would require that you call me sir but uh i prefer not that he says so ma'am then yeah in a crunch but uh (laughs) I prefer Captain. Perfect. That's and exactly it, it. And it like they did it. I mean, I think it's. I think it was very intentional. Like, like let's mm-hmm. give her a commanding, authoritative presence um, out of the gate, without making it be bitchy. So nobody's going to be saying, "Oh, yeah, there's a female captain, so she gives orders and she comes bitchy," right? So I think they were very deliberate in how do we present a female captain, and uh, just sort of choose and establish that that will be somebody who's respected in command. Yeah, absolutely. There was some other actress that was first, um, Catherine Janeway, that was first cast in her role. And I can't remember her name, but you can find it if you Google first Captain Janeway. All right, I'm going to. It's like Bejeweled or something. A French last name. Okay. She was very soft. And she, there's a YouTube video of like one scene that they shot. It was clearly not the right fit. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. Genevieve Bujold. Yes. Genevieve. Yeah. And it's super... French Canadian. Oh. Yeah. After Kirk. <laughs> mm-hmm. Who then became the Chris Pike of Voyager. Where I, I feel like I watch Mulgrew. Mm-hmm. And she, she does a couple things here and there that I find very theatrical. Yeah. And very kind of over the top. And, uh, and it actually there is something about that that's Kirk-esque mm-hmm. to me, which is the... 
which is the bravado. You the know, French the... Canadian. Do you think it's related to <laughs> them both being French Canadian? No, or? that was Bejold. I was talking oh. about oh, Mulgrew. About Mulgrew. Oh, okay. Because um, right, I was sorry. thinking where Pike was a movie actor, mm-hmm. uh, Jeffrey Hunter, you know, the original, the original guy to sit in any center seat, and then it became Kirk. And you don't remember yeah. the first guy, but you remember Shatner and all this swaggering bravado. There was someone before Kirk? Yeah. Oh, God. So we're going to get there. <laughs> so you have... You have Mulgrew in a couple of these moments that I thought that was really theatrical. Like that mm-hmm. was really over the top. And I thought, I wonder if that was just sort of that, that tendency for a captain to carry the scene by being big mm-hmm. with their, with their acting. The theater. Yeah. The theater presence. Yeah. Know. Yeah, absolutely. So we meet Janeway yeah. um, at a penal colony to collect not Nick Lacarno. <laughs> No. Uh, some other punk that looks exactly like Nick Locarno. So Nick Locarno was played by the same actor who plays Tom Paris and he was in the in the next generation and he's in some accident that leaves a, that kills another cadet um uh student and uh and he's like kicked out of Starfleet for it. Oh yeah. So same actor, same history, different character. Interesting. I see what you're saying. I was yeah. like, um, okay, you're just confusing the shit out of me. Let's let's keep our storyline straight here. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's the joke. Is the yeah. this isn't Nick Lacarno, and I think it was clearly the character, clearly supposed to be the character that we're gonna pick up where they left off with him in just some one-off episode, a couple seasons before in the Next Generation, uh, and then there was like, um, uh, not copyright issues, but intellectual property issues mm-hmm. with, related to whoever wrote that episode, <laughs> so that they renamed him Tom Paris. <laughs> Uh, so he's forever lieutenant, not Nick Lacarno. And sorry, I just missed. Did you just say that's your headcanon for it, or that's no, what really happened? That's what happened. Really? Yeah. Huh. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so she comes and picks up not Nick Lacarno because mm-hmm. not Nick Lacarno um, joined the Maquis. Mm-hmm. We're like resistance fighters, and a lot of them are Starfleet dropouts. Yeah. Um, who you know in a in a or a just cause joined the Maquis instead, uh, and then was captured on his first mission. Is the son of an admiral, uh, so she comes and picks him up to advise Voyager on this mission to go get the Maquis that was, you know, sent to, that got swept away in the Badlands. Uh, and he's a punk ass, total punk ass. Gets, sure. Yeah, he gets on the uh, shuttle where they're driving to Voyager, and he's picking up on the. On the girl who's the pilot? By punk ass, you mean womanizer. That's what we call those. I thought he was pretty smug just in general. You know, I didn't see it until you were telling me, like, because I was like, oh, what was that woman's name? I didn't catch it. Um, And you're like, oh, no, it doesn't matter. And I was like, okay, first of all, rude. I didn't want Uh, you to get too attached to her. (laughs) No, I know. I do appreciate that because I try to write people's names down right before they get killed all the time while I'm watching Star Trek, it seems. Um, (laughs) No, but um, you had said, oh, like... You know, they're just trying to show how he is with women. I was like, oh, so he's a real Kirk. And you're like, no, Kirk gets the women. <laughs> but it was good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So he's here kind of against his will, happy to be off of the prison planet. He's, um, I took his character as very smug throughout mm-hmm. the whole beginning of it. They give him some. Yeah. Um, I mean, after he gets the uniform on, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and But now we're on Voyager and we're heading out to the mission. Yeah. To the Badlands. And who else we got? Oh, yeah. And at this point, I guess, once we crash, come careening into the uh, far reaches of the galaxy, we also get the 
medical crew, the whole medical crew is killed. Mm. And we get the holographic doctor. I was just going to say, I didn't put him in my notes per se, because he's not exactly a character, but he <laughs> kind of is also, like, he kind of is. I just love that he, um, you know, he is a program. And so it's kind of a, I think it's a, the three beat where it's, you know, oh, somebody forgot to leave or turn the medical program off. Oh, you should turn that, you know, why does nobody remember to turn off the medical program? That was funny. Yeah, the fact that he wants to be deactivated yeah, all the time. Because otherwise he's bored and just trying to entertain himself. Where are all of my patients? Yeah. Terrible bedside manner. Mm-hmm. It's harsh. Mm-hmm. It's barking at everybody all the time. Yeah, I love like, when Janeway shuts him off. <laughs> yeah. This is my, this is sick bay, not a conference room. You will take this discussion out of this room. And she deactivate. says, computer, deactivate image. <laughs> <laughs> and this thing drops. <laughs> he was holding. Yeah, I know. That was really great. So he ends up being one of the very iconic characters of oh, the really? show, by the way. And probably has the biggest character arc of anybody. I can't tell if you're kidding. No, it's... A computer program? Yeah, he, he's really a core character. That... That's really cool. Well, hmm. And something I'm, to keep... And color me corrected. Uh, your friends who told you that uh, Voyager was the more logical entry point for you, I guess... Uh, I would say, based on your response to my thinking, is yeah. that that would probably be correct, that this would be the logical entry point for you. Yeah. Unfortunately, the ones who told me, just they know me well enough to understand, while it sounds like a very simple reason for giving me to watch that, they know why it's the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, the characters in this were just pretty lovable. I have to say, I don't know why... Mr. Neelix seemed really familiar to me, and I couldn't put my finger on if maybe I'd just, in passing, seen a Voyager episode, and he's just incredibly memorable, or if there is, a, you know, another, if his species is portrayed again in another episode that I've seen. I don't know why there's something familiar about him to me. I almost wanted to say there was a connection between him and the Doctor in Enterprise, but I couldn't even remember what that guy looked like to Flocks. draw that connection. Oh, I could see that. Okay. I could see why you would have correlated the two. That they have like a similar face thing going on? I don't know. They've got something. Not necessarily. I I could see, just to picture the two of them on my head, I could mm-hmm. I could see why one might make a connection to, here's some rubber-headed Star Trek guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and there's some other rubber-headed Star Trek guy that I feel like reminds me for some reason of this rubber-headed Star Trek guy. I don't think it would be a horrible stretch for somebody to confuse those two rubber-headed Star Trek guys. Oh, yep. Nope. Now that I've pulled them up, I'm like, oh, no, they're super different. Yeah, that's not why I was familiar. I, I, it must be that I just saw a previous episode then because I saw him and I was like, oh, he's important. Why is he important? I've not seen this series before, but I feel like he sticks around even mm. though he's supposed to be, you know, episode of the week, whatever. He would be. He's a series regular. So Exactly. Yeah, he is but. You know, while I could have thought he was a series regular, as soon as I saw him, I was like, I'm pretty sure. And I yeah. haven't I haven't been exposed to enough Star Trek material to make me feel like, well, yeah, of course I would just know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. There's something. Yeah. Well, let's expand on him yeah. then. Yeah. Um, because when Voyager gets to the... Well, it's not... We, they don't establish here, I don't think, that it's the Delta Quadrant. But let's simplify. Sure. Uh, in the Delta Quadrant. Uh, they come across some trash heap where they got some life form who's scavenging the, the intergalactic trash heap, mm-hmm. some debris field, I should say. And that's Neelix who tries to run him out. And they say, no, we're just kind of, we don't care about your trash. And he goes, oh, well, in that case, pleased to meet you. Yeah, I loved that. Uh, you got some water for me? So water is scarce in this mm-hmm. part of the galaxy. Um, and they seem, you know, they're spacefaring, but they're pretty, they're not sophisticated like 
Starfleet sophisticated. No, they Not showed that pretty shot. well too. Even like when they um, brought Neelix aboard, they told him that they could beam him aboard, and he seemed perplexed by this terminology. And they're like, "No, no, no, we can just we can make you come aboard." And then mm-hmm. they do it, and he's you know kind of in like this defensive like you know light sort of <laughs> <laughs> stance, like <laughs> bracing himself <laughs> exactly yeah, for yeah. this beaming process. Then he beams aboard. Oh, amazing. This is incredible. Right. So he's pretty yeah. awestruck by everything and mm-hmm. pretty down to hang. I, I think what this could say, down to hang. the villain that we get in this episode, like the true actual villain that they're setting up for, I mean, the conventional villain in the conventional sense of the word, mm-hmm. the Kazon um, are spacefaring, um, yeah. aggressive, but they're, they're not quite as well, they're just not as developed as the federation so they're not um they're not that horrible like you kind of understand their point of view here they're uh, on this planet that that they share with the okampa uh and it's desolate it's pure desert the mm-hmm. okampa they're they're supplied by the caretaker and and all the resources go to them so they're very resource poor so they're always battling it out for resources. It doesn't really lend itself logically logically to me that they would then be spacefaring. But I think what we can extrapolate in a larger picture of what's going on in this part of the galaxy, unlike what we've been accustomed to in Star Trek, is that there isn't a strong um, predominant... There's not a predominant force. You know, yeah. there's not a... Um, there's not a empire that's... No government. Yeah, there's not a... Somebody who has the majority of space, you know, as, you know, this is Federation territory. So it's pretty um, fragmented among these worlds, it would seem to be. It's pretty isolated, and there isn't a benevolent body like the Federation to make sure that things are uh, lawful and orderly and that there's no, you know, famine across the galaxy. So this is kind of what you'd (laughs) expect space to be like. (laughs) Yeah, sure. If Star Trek were real, it just seems more realistic to me now. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciated the water being kind of a big conflict, too. Um, I don't think we've gotten into it yet, but the caretaker is the reason that this area is so desolate. Um, You know, he had brought a new technology to the area that just kind of stripped the water out of the atmosphere. Um, And it feels so guilty for it. He spent the last thousand years, 500 generations... Uh, they said a millennia, which is a thousand years, right? Um, sure, yeah. But 500 generations sounds longer than that. Yeah. He's been taking care of them. He created a, uh, a hole in the ground uh, when made a city down there for these guys to, for the species to be able to stay alive. <laughs> yeah, a subterranean. Subterranean. They're a mm-hmm. subterranean species now. And they're like a child baby species. Yeah. That when we meet this guy, he's just an old... See, here's the thing about this... Well, I'm sorry. Let me focus on two things first. <laughs> which is Neelix, mm-hmm. uh, who takes Voyager to the Kazon. Yeah. And they tell us a lot. That We get a lot of what's going on in the plot about the caretaker, about the Opaka, Okampa. Yeah. Um, things start to become clear here. Uh, but the really the only reason that Neelix brought him here is to go rescue his girlfriend, Kess, who's an Okampa. Who, who's a very curious Okampa that keeps not doing exactly what she's told and thinks the Okampa should maybe think for themselves a little bit and not just do the thinking that the uh, caretaker insists that they think. Absolutely. And stumbles out into the world and gets uh, taken prisoner by the 
Kazon. Mm-hmm. It's rescued by Neelix in a situation where he really sets up the Voyager crew to look bad here, I feel like. Yeah. And uh, and then we have our whole uh, cast at that point. Yeah, that's that's everyone we've got. Right. Absolutely. Uh, we actually missed a big one because we lumped him in when we first got introduced to um, uh, Chakotay, Balana, and Tuvok. Tuvok. And we started talking about Balana. Yeah. Tuvok was actually a... Um, Vulcan. Espionage. He was a. Oh yeah. Yeah, he was an implant. He's a Starfleet um, officer who was implanted mm-hmm. to the Maquis uh, to acquire information about them and then get that information back to Janeway. So these two have been working together for a while. So Voyager is not like brand new, fresh out of space Mm-mm. dock. They've been the crew's been operating at least for a little bit of time together. It's pretty yeah. new. It sounded like, but, but the the crew as we see it now is very newly assembled. Right. Mm-hmm. But we, we By the end of the episode. Right, totally. Um, so I don't know exactly how long Voyager has been in service with Janeway as its captain. Mm-hmm. The Mark, the boyfriend, says, okay, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So it's not a long-term mission yeah. vessel, it sounds like. Um, actually, in fact, I think they made that pretty clear. This is not a long-term thing. Yeah. Uh, so she anyway. promises to bring them back home to their people. I mean, right. that, that sounds like... You know, her crew members, she said, it's important for me to return you guys back to your families. Mm -hmm. So Tuvok uh, betrays, or Chakotay feels betrayed anyway. Yeah. Because he's supposed to acquire information and then turn them over to Janeway. And uh, that happens in a way. (laughs) Uh, Goes differently. Uh, Chakotay is, I don't know, I don't remember if he was ex-Starfleet. Um I should, but this is where my not being familiar enough with Voyager is leaving me to not recall the answer. Yeah. He's a Native American, which is the first time uh, that a Native American is a crew member on a major Starfleet vessel. (laughs) Not true, but in Star Trek and the uh, cast of the characters. Um, And he and Tom Paris have some bad blood. Okay, um, yeah. Because Tom... Well, he thinks... Why does he have... Bad blood with Tom Paris. I guess it's just because uh, he thinks that Tom's working with the with Starfleet now. Mm-hmm. That Tom's just sort of a gun for hire. So he looks at him like he's, uh, I don't know, thin-blooded. Yeah. Now, what's interesting to me about this, where you say that it's one of the more compelling parts of the show, and what I'm hearing is one of the more compelling Star Trek crews you've cast? Um... Yeah, I think I like the... I'm very excited by the cast. Honestly, with... I don't want to call it formulaic, but with Star Trek being something that's kind of consistent in its packaging, that the genre is mm-hmm. the genre, and the plot is more or less the genre. Yep. <laughs> um, the, it, the characters are kind of what end up making it or breaking it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, at least in the, this pilot, they did a really good job of showing me, like, hey, these are some exciting people to come back for. So Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek mm-hmm. and Star Trek The Next Generation, then mm-hmm. sort of the emeritus title holder of based on Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry and every credit and every Star Trek thing since, yeah. um, was adamant that there would be no conflict in the future. So Next Generation, you really couldn't see any conflict among the crew. So they weren't allowed to have conflict. I don't like that, yeah. And it was very frustrating for the Next Generation writers to try to write in conflict when none of their main characters were allowed to have conflict with mm-hmm. each other. 
Uh, Deep Space Nine went a different direction with that um, for reasons that we'll talk about in 10 weeks. And um, uh, this one, I realized something that I really hadn't made the connection before, that you have the Maquis with the Federation, with Starfleet, um, that are you know, really opposed to Starfleet right now, needing to be um, assimilated into the crew. And by the end of the episode, uh, it's kind of a nice showing that, that the Maquis says nowhere in this. Like they would rather represent, they're closer to Starfleet than they are in this Delta Quadrant cast of characters. Um, so you do mesh together two things that really shouldn't be meshed together. And that's a pretty interesting dynamic that would allow itself well to some uh, serious character conflict and drama mm-hmm. that wouldn't break the Gene Roddenberry cardinal rule. Yeah. So, uh, part part of what leads to the compellingness, I think, of the characters. Definitely, yeah, because not having any conflict, like, I don't want to... It, it's just not very interesting. A lack <laughs> of... Con- like, story is driven by conflict, which is why I don't think I'd be a very good writer. I'm not good at writing conflict. I have a hard time putting two characters in a conflicting situation. That That's hard for me. Yeah. Um, so, to say that... You, you know, we're writing something in a future where there is no conflict. I'm like, man, you're really, you're really limiting yourself. Like, so, so what are we going to do in space? <laughs> Count rocks. <laughs> well, new Star Trek has made me forget a little bit, which is a criticism of new Star Trek. Um, mm-hmm. The beauty of Star Trek, which is a team coming together to reach a common goal. Okay, is that? Yeah, and I just kind of forgot how much the ensemble was in the blood of Star Trek mm-hmm. because, you know, watching Discovery is just the Michael Burnham show all the time. Yeah. Uh, and I like it. So, you know, that, that's a review we've already done that you can take a listen to. Yeah. But, uh, but in the in the classic formula, there is something about that classic formula that they've, you know, strayed from to create more modern drama, I think, for the most part. Um, and then they're straying back to because it's so much the DNA of Star Trek that you have a group of people coming together to reach a common goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and bringing the Maquis in with Voyager, and, and they're pretty humble in, you know, Chakotay says at some point, um, when Balana says, who is she to be making decisions like this for us? And he says, she's the captain. Like, look, we might not like our situation here, but it's either going to be we're going to be nomads out here in the Delta Quadrant roughing it by ourselves or... or or we're going to be a Starfleet crew, and it's the only way that we're going to make it through this. Yeah, absolutely. And it happened a little bit, maybe conveniently, quickly, but um, was also very much in the DNA of Star Trek that that did happen, um, and that um, and that it was I don't know, it was pretty selfless of those guys to say we got to just be part of the team and and work it and uh, you know assimilate into the chain of command to get things done, which could still spark conflicts mm-hmm. among the characters. That's pretty interesting. Anyway, I have a, I, I guess I liked the ca- the character setup. Mind you, I came into this at five years old. My mm-hmm. dad said, yeah, we, we watch Next Generation and this ain't it. Yeah. Uh, why are they just permanently lost in space? And he just didn't, you know, really get into this like he was in <laughs> the Next Generation Babylon 5 was at the same time as Deep Space Nine. He called it Baloney on 5 and couldn't keep the two separate. So he wasn't as big of a Trekkie as I thought he was, I guess is all I'm saying. <laughs> so was your mom the bigger Trekkie or were you the only one who was the true Trekkie all along? Me, but my mom bought me all the action figures and really supported it. But so my, your mom is the the sponsor? 
Um, <laughs> my first, my earliest memory of my life was watching Star Trek: The Next Generation with my dad. Uh huh. So that's my. So I. You're, I you're, get nostalgic about mm-hmm. it in that way. Um, my mom knows less about Star Trek, I would say, but uh, yeah, but supported my love for it. Okay. And she was the one chasing out all the toys and stuff. That's awesome. So she's the one who made me a Trekkie. He's the one who introduced me to it. Thanks, Mama Riker. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, in any event, the um, I recall just sort of being told by my dad. We don't like Voyager. And I'm watching this now thinking, I don't know. The character setup was pretty good. It's pretty compelling. Yeah. There's more meat to it than I realized. There's a lot more about it than I like. Cool. Than I realized. So, yeah, it's a big, I give it a big pass. That's exciting. Yeah. Something that I realized, I think this episode, I don't think, or episodes, this episodes, (laughs) (laughs) these episodes, um, that Star Trek pilots seem to be mostly about assembling the crew and whatever events it takes to do that. At least that's the pattern I seem to be finding. Um, Meeting or assembling the crew. <laughs> based on what you've seen, yes. yeah, that would be appropriate. Yeah. And this one was sort of unconventional in that there is a whole crew. We meet her first in command, Lieutenant Commander Cabot, who I wrote him down on my card as a joke. <laughs> yeah. Because he introduces the first in command. He has, I don't remember this guy at all. Mm-hmm. He has no, he's totally uncharismatic, utterly humorless, uh, dies instantly. Yeah. So we have the crew, and the crew, the Voyager crew that was sent to space is not the crew that we get in the show. Yeah, I was just going to say, so I'm, I'm going back through my cards, and I'm like, okay, how many of these people were, like, of, of the cast that we considered, or the characters that we really considered important for this episode, how many of them were existing Voyager members? Mm-hmm. Tuvok, which he was, you know... He was in spirit, but, you know, he was kind of on another group. Yeah, he was introduced as a Maquis member. <laughs> Absolutely. And then the only other person I had would would be uh, Janeway herself. Um, because uh, Chakotay is new to us. Balana's new to us. Paris is new to us. Harry Kim says this is his first Just got mission. assigned. You're right. Mm-hmm. Mr. Neelix and Kess decided that they wanted to come along for the journey. So these are all new people. Yeah. Um, Voyager is not new as a ship. Uh, Janeway is not new as a captain, so that's exciting. We come into it with, you know, competent leadership and something that's already existed, but everyone else is new, and we got to meet them in the pilot. So it was, I don't know. I liked that. I really, I'm a fan. I would modify a little bit to say that the two that were supposed to be there, well, you got three people who were supposed to be there, is Tuvok, Janeway, and Harry Kim. However, this is Harry Kim's just showed up. Right, exactly. But that is less than half. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I never put that together myself. And then you right. got the doctor, who's really a temporary solution. Mm, it's really just some duct tape. Ah, that, hmm. I, now I'm interested. I have to say, your your little breadcrumbs about the uh, the doctor <laughs> make me interested. <laughs> and it is worth noting that one of the very famous members of the cast, uh, Jerry Ryan, seven of nine, doesn't come until later. Mm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. we're not reviewing later. We're reviewing the pilot. Yeah, um, really quick, I did want to say that it was interesting to me that um, the caretaker's story is that, you know, he introduced a technology to the area that um, removed water from the environment. And then the guy, I think his name's Jaren or something like that, who is the, what is Yeah, this? the leader of the 
Kazan Ogla. Thank you. Yes, he's like, hey, we don't want your water. We want the technology that creates it. I'm like, damn, have you guys not learned any fucking lessons? No, you don't know what <laughs> you don't know what this technology will do to the area. What what if it's worse? Mm. Then they might be better off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although I will say, anything's got to be better than no water. Yeah, I gotta say, it was pretty um, as a leader of that ragtag bunch of Kazan. Uh, I think he made the right call. I think saying, yeah, cool. Thanks for the water, guys. You're holding out. You yeah. can make it out of thin air. We want the shit that's going to make this sustaining. Yeah, absolutely. So before we venture into our review of the, what is, how does this set up the plot mm-hmm. arc yeah. to come, I want to talk about the essential drama of this episode or the moral question of this episode. Please. Which is the array. The array, which is the ship that the caretaker is on or the device that the caretaker occupies. Yeah. Um, I want to establish for one... Well, never... I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, The array that the caretaker occupies and supplies the Ocampa with. Or, you know, with energy and supplies from. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Janeway and crew go over there at the end. Yeah. Uh, The Kazon are coming to just to take over the uh caretaker's device and uh, destroy the okampa or whatever they're going to do because yeah. they're pretty bitter that the okampa been sucking up what limited resources exist janeway says no you can't do that that's our ticket back home they go over there to witness the death of the caretaker who's a digital blob yeah a digital blob turns into a rock and she's mulling the moral question you say she's captain compassion yeah she's mulling the moral question of if we use the technology Mm -hmm. that's going to get us out of here then we're going to leave the okampa to be conquered by the kazon yeah and genocided right Mm -hmm. Uh, and then she just they go back to the ship we go back to voyager uh, we're FaceTiming with the Kazon. <laughs> and she says, uh, nope, can't have it. And he says, we're going to do our thing. Mind your own business. Tuvok has made the point accurately uh, that we're going to shift the balance in the society here. The prime directive applies. <laughs> and this is not our business. Let's take this. Go home. She destroys their ticket home, which was in the pilot description on Paramount Plus. Uh, which I forgot that she had made the decision yeah. to shut off their wow. access home. Can we, should we be like maybe taking away points for Paramount Plus and spoilers because that's really spoily. That's resolution, man. We didn't even cover that in our description when we were trying to. <laughs> just saying. Ooh, ooh. Well, we didn't cover it in our description because we were having too hard of a time to get there. <laughs> Yeah, but if you're trying to get somebody to watch your episode, do you tell them the ending? Hey, watch it. Here's the ending. Yeah, okay. I'll go with that. It was way too descriptive. It was, yeah. It was bizarre how descriptive it was. Mm, Okay, so maybe we're leaning back on, it may have been written for nerds, but it spoils the ending, so go back to Netflix for it. But we didn't really catch it. It took till now before we really caught it, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, it was too, like, you'd already tuned out. Yeah, Yeah. sure, we could take away points. Negative 12? No, negative 12. That's... Okay. Thank you. I feel... I can sleep now. 
<laughs> there was some uh, secret number in Star Trek The Next Generation. I think it was 42. Whenever they just needed a random number. Oh, there was 42 deaths on this deck. I'm not sure so, if uh, you're pulling the number possibly from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy oh, because it? 42 is the, nam- the number that is the answer to oh. life, the universe, and everything. Could be. Let me look it up. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be interested to know if they share that in common. That would be like kind of, that would make 42 more of a sci-fi number, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the really sci-fi number. The sci-fi number, yeah. 47, I'm sorry. Ah, oh, man. That would be cool, though. 47. <sighs> so minus 47 points. Oh, Ooh, okay. Cool, I'll take it. All right. So anyway, she uh, destroys it. I want to talk about this with you. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of that decision? Um, of her just destroying the array. Yeah. Well, and that's why I asked you about the it. Ocampa. So, so that's why I'd asked you originally because I don't fully understand what that does. Her destroying the array, it does what? Oh, that was how they were going to get home. The technology how, that... How Starfleet was going to get how home. How Voyager was going to get home. So they're not... Oh, okay. So they're still lost in space is the resolution of this. Yes. They've chosen to be lost in space because she is Captain Compassion and she will not stand for that. Yes. Oh. She decided that they that in Fuck turning yeah. their backs on the Ocampa, where they were drawn into this conflict, um, and the Kazon comes onto the view screen and says, you've made an enemy here today. So we start yeah. the episode. We start the series with, okay, the Kazon with their fluffy hair um, don't like Janeway. Mm-hmm. You know, Kirk is to Klingons what Janeway is to Kazon. Yeah. Just have to take my word for that. And um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, she, so she makes this moral decision. I, I think that Tuvok and his point saying we're going to shift the balance of this by our interference with it. Yeah. Um, and violate the prime directive, mm-hmm. I think was legalistically speaking, the correct argument. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, to answer your question, which we, you were talking about it at the beginning saying, Hey, I want to make yeah. sure I clarify this. I said, let's save it for our show. Yeah. Which I'm still, I'm still glad we did. Yeah. In destroying the array, which is what had the technology to abduct them from the mm-hmm. Badlands, uh, where they intended to be in the first place, yeah, they cut off their only route that they had home. So the speech that Janeway gives at the end, where she's saying we're lost in space now, it's going to take us 75 years to get home, uh, we're going to look for wormholes, new technology, whatever, there's got to be some kind of life form like the caretaker over here that's going to get us back home sooner yeah thank you for clarifying that i think i got a little hung up on the array and what it meant and i was kind of mm, assuming that this was all going to be resolved and tidied up in this episode because i feel like a lot of star trek is that way it's like okay glad you hung around for the story this week forget all the people you know that weren't our main crew Mm -hmm. because they're not important anymore we're gonna visit a whole new set of fools that you'll get to meet next week um but this sounds like maybe that's not the case that now we're stuck. I mean, we may not meet the same people, but this is, we are now stuck in space and we're looking for that resolution, which actually feels very Farscape. Totally. Ooh, for sure. Um, well, there's many great speeches in Star Trek mm-hmm. history, many great Kirk speeches. Am I about to hear one? Many great Picard speeches. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, you might think I'm a nerd, but I don't have any of them memorized. Oh, that would have been really great. So, <laughs> what about historical truth or that Picard gives to shut up Wesley? Um... So Janeway gives a speech at the end, which yeah. is a really flaccid speech that is actually just expectation setting for what's to come. Uh, so as we get into the plot arc here, mm-hmm. uh, what is the? how does the pilot set us up for what's to come in this series? 
Janeway's speech at the end, she basically says the following. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. I'm translating okay. from Star Trek to um, TV viewer. Thank you. She says, some weeks will be... Uh, some weeks will be episodic in nature, adhering to a familiar formula. But there will be a unique and overarching plot about us finding a way home in 75 seasons or less. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's <was> pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I like what you did there. <laughs> and I thought that was so lame. Did you? So my criticism of this episode is there's some interesting Star Trek stuff in it. Mm-hmm. The fact that the caretaker is a benevolent character yeah racked with guilt over what he had done as an explorer of a different kind um and he's communicating with starfleet who are explorers of a more conventional kind humanoid (laughs) um that was very trekky that was pretty interesting the amount of time we spent on the farm why he chose a farm the offering of corn was so like it was an interesting sci-fi idea that was very trekky in nature in its exploration of what it is to be human which is sort of the central theme of star trek it i just felt like we chose one of the least interesting ways to get there Hmm. and it's like it's like well what could we do on a budget on a show that i that i've read many times had far exceeded its budget Mm -hmm. as they were launching upn so this was a tentpole show and then they choose the farm and the corn on the cob it was it was pretty cheesy hmm yeah, and I totally understand your argument. I guess what it did for me, um, it very much stood out as weird. I mean, I think, it, I mean, I think it wasn't yeah. unintentional. You know, it was. Um, you know, they identify rather quickly, um, and we're on board for this decision. This, hey, we're in a holographic reality. This isn't. This isn't real. Like, I'm on board with that. Yeah, of course they're not going to be on a fucking farm. Like, I'm. I'm with you. Okay. Yes. This is not right. We're not where we should be. This is immediately clear to me because nothing about this this place that we're in makes sense for space. Why do they give it to us as a farm? I guess here's the thing that, that hits me. It's spooky and weird. Like that's so yeah. not what you're expecting in space. It, Would you expect something that feels like home? Or would that throw you the f off? Yeah. I, I, for me as a viewer, coming to this, wanting to see Strange New Worlds, mm-hmm. we just get sent 70,000 light years across the galaxy. Yeah. And then are introduced to the most familiar thing possible to us, mm-hmm. which is Americana. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's like, first of all, why did he choose that? There's yeah. no idea why he chose that. And I, I wasn't personally interested yeah. in, in showing up to the hoedown. Like That's I fair. wasn't interested in that. And I, to see that this was the show that was supposed to introduce UPN to the world, that was supposed to attract some of the audience back that had not been taking as much of an interest in Deep Space Nine by mm-hmm. getting off the space station back into deep space, that we're going as deep into space as we've ever been. Not exactly true. Um, and, uh, and then that's what we get. And I will say, I think part two is better than part one. Yeah. I forget where we get the Kazon. I feel like that was in part two. I thought the standoff with the Kazon was pretty... Like, once we get into exploring Strange New Worlds, mm-hmm. the sort of sociopolitical structure... That's a good point. A lot more interesting to me. But the thing with the farm and the old lady and the corn on the cob... It took like too long, yeah. So cheesy and so long and, like, just so old school. 
Bonanza. I will say the biggest criticism I did have of this pilot is that it had to be a two-parter. Why could you not have given me everything that I got here in a one-parter? I I don't feel like there was anything so complex that it could not have happened in a single episode. It gets boring, doesn't it? It does. This one drags. When we and you're right, it did pick up for the second half. So you know, like I don't want to say like, oh, I was just dying for it to be over. But like the first half, I was just like, shit, we're only halfway through. Really? Okay. Okay. I mean, it's not terrible. It's it's just not it's not exciting. Yeah. No. It's like Enterprise. As much as that's the the series that has the most trash people talk about it. Mm-hmm. That's the best pilot. Of any of this era, Burma era Star Trek, that's the best pilot. When we watched that one, mm-hmm. when you got to the end of that, and you said, "No, that's pretty good." Oh like, yeah, I was engaged with yeah. That. Her argument with the uh, computer over releasing her from the brig is like, I still think about that. Oh, I'm sorry, this Discovery. Oh, sorry. What did you say? Enterprise. I heard Burman. Sorry. Burman era. Burnham. Oh. You're thinking Burnham. Yep. The Burman era. But see, sorry. there you go. So you watch the new one. The new one was cinematic. It's like a two-hour yes. movie mm-hmm. that is even a little bit detached from the rest of the show. Yeah. Um, Picard, like cinema, um, Enterprise, felt like TV, but it was cinematic in its scope. Mm-hmm. And then you get to this, and you think, and I think that's how you introduce the show. Like <laughs> it's boring and yeah. kind of monotonous. And you make a good point for all the fat in it. Why couldn't we do this in an hour? I was dreading having to do Star Trek. I won't lie. And it's not that I haven't come to appreciate our Star Trek episodes. It's just ninety minutes is a lot to sign up for. Especially to totally new material. It's just, it's a, it's a big investment. Mm-hmm. Um, so to watch it and be like, oh, I don't feel like you made the best use of that time. I cannot walk away from it and say it's 100% successful. While I've watched all of it and would say that it does tempt me to watch more, um, I would say that if it weren't for this podcast, I would probably not have finished the episode. Yeah. You know? I, you know, I've seen uh, Deep Space Nine's pilot several times and the problem i have with deep space nine is i'm always trying to get through the first two seasons there's some (laughs) gems in the third season i really want to see uh and then when Worf shows up in season four it's like okay we're cooking yeah um and i i've been trying for years to make it through deep space nine but as i get stuck in those early two seasons i keep thinking well maybe i'll watch the next generation because i just i'm watching it because i don't have anything to do, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just in my underwear, vegging out, like want to watch some old Star Trek episodes. And I would like to get through Deep Space Nine and then start Voyager. And then I watch this one again and think, oh, I just, I like it better than I remembered liking mm-hmm. it. And I just still don't, you said it perfectly, didn't make the best use of their time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so plot though, with Janeway's speech uh, resonating in your head. Uh, some weeks will be episodic. Overall, yeah. there's an arc, 75 seasons or less. Yeah, I'd say that's very successful. Um, I wish that I had understood the consequences of her destroying the array, so that would have kind of hit home a little bit better for me because, you know, it just felt like a speech to me. Like, mm-hmm. it didn't, not having context for what the speech was saying, like, as we're talking about it now, I'm like, oh, damn, yeah, okay, cool. We're going to try to find our way out of... This is Farscape. <laughs> yeah. Not to piss off two nerd communities at once here, but I'm seeing some connections here, and it's intriguing me. Yeah. Um, not to say one influences the other in any way, but it's accessible to me that way. You know, in trying to get people to accept a new captain, mm-hmm. having her be a female captain, yeah. while the only other captain that people... Because you look at... 
what was controversial at the time. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Cisco as the black commanding officer. Yeah. Uh, you have Janeway as the first woman captain. Yeah. Um, if you're a Kirk holdout, you're thinking, mm-hmm. nah, give me the cowboy back. Um, so at the time, this was very controversial. Yeah. Right? I don't think they're setting her up super great here with that flaccid speech at the end. Mm. That's more of a commentary on the show and not on the consequences of the major decision she just made. Absolutely. To kill, like, think about the amount of turmoil that that would create among the crew. Oh, yeah. You did what? You violated the Prime Directive at our expense to help the Okampa, who Mm -hmm. now we're going to leave anyway. Yeah. With very little resolution on how that goes for them. Mm -hmm. I think it was irresponsible and I think it was the wrong call. You do? I do. Oh, okay. What do you think? Um, I mean, I I don't know that I want to say that it's a right or a wrong call. I think that it's very juicy because <laughs> it does uh, violate the prime directive and it does do something that I really applaud um, Janeway for, which is being the compassionate captain. Do I think that it's necessarily the winning direction to go? But I, no, I, not necessarily. But I think it's interesting to explore. And for the sake of conflict, I think that it's an interesting choice to make. Uh, no, for sure. Yeah. yeah. We're in asking in, yeah. in me getting flustered about it, worked up about it, saying she made the wrong call. Um, let me let me yeah. complete two trains of thought or complete one and then sure. open up this for a little bit more discussion. The one thought is they give her this lame speech at the end mm-hmm. where I don't think you're galvanizing a lot of interest in her as a captain to be making no. a speech, for, to be speechifying yeah. the show. Um, so there's no, you know, meet there. There's no theme to that. Yeah. Just we're going to be out there sort of meandering around. Yeah. Um, and then you have, so there's that, which like it would have been nice to give her a strong speech, especially when you correlate that against mm-hmm. what would have just happened dramatically, yeah. which would be that a lot of the crew would be questioning her leadership at that point. Absolutely. So she should be trying to gain faith with them on it. Like, hey, listen, I know that this is not in line with our prime directive or so it seems, mm-hmm. but here's why. Here's my vision. Go. Yeah. Just this was this was not. Yeah. Uh, this was not a violation of the prime directive because we mm-hmm. were the ones pulled in and I had to make a decision. Yeah. And I chose a decision that was compassion and integrity mm-hmm. and all the things that Starfleet stands for. And if anybody's got a problem with it, yeah. uh, you know, we'll give you the Maquis ship. See you later. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for playing. Um, yeah, absolutely. So a lot of interesting ways we could have gone with that. But in short, I think Tuvok had the winning argument, which was uh, we shouldn't tangle with this and we should get get out of town before we uh, get further entangled with this. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, I think the pilot set up clearly where we're going, so they yeah. created a clear expectation and give them a pass. Certainly. Um, so that leaves us with Hook. Mm-hmm. Were you hooked to watch more? I'd like to hear your answer first. Would you mind? No, not at all. Um, I mean, I think I... I've told you I like the crew quite a bit. Um, and now understanding the plot, I'm actually pretty interested in that. Um, all that said, while I'm interested in the show and appreciate the content, I'm just in no hurry to binge it. Um, and kind of, unfortunately, with streaming today, that's where we're at with things. That especially with this not being in a hurry to get to its point in, you know, even the pilot episode, I'm not as excited about giving it the less than confident stumbling through its story to get me the in- interesting material. Like... I think there's interesting material there, but 
I don't think it's the best use of my time. And it's because they're not very competent with the use of their time in the show, I think. If that makes sense. It does. I'm so glad that I asked you to go first because I was still bringing my thoughts in on it. And I was trying to get any latent bias out of my head. Okay. And this is just nerd culture just for fun to say when you got your favorite Star Trek and you want to make your argument for why yours is better. Um, So I'm trying to get clear that bias out. And hearing you clarifies my thinking here. Which is that there's some really interesting pieces here. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the show fails to understand what makes those things so interesting? Yes. Like you, you assimilate the Maquis into the crew. Wow, mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah. Cool to see that everybody sort of falls in line. Also a little bit convenient. What was the point of having them be Maquis if it's not going to be a continuous conflict with these two cultures mm-hmm. that are now at odds with each other? Absolutely. Where they should be undermining the captain. There should be, uh, you know mutinous things happening where we want to get rid of Janeway after that decision that she made in installing Chakotay yeah. uh, and watching that delicate power struggle. Mm-hmm. So we get from the really interesting, the really interesting nuggets here that could give us some really unexplored conflict, um, some really uh, unique, you know, uh, I'm thinking of the Kazon here where we're talking about the socio-political structure of what's going on in this yeah. part of the galaxy. You got some really interesting stuff there. And as soon as they're setting it up, they're saying, but don't worry, even though we've created a space here that would be really interesting to play in, Mm -hmm. we're going to pretty much ignore all of those things and be as formulaic as possible starting now. Yeah. And I have to say that is something that I keep like after each review of Star Trek, you and I seem to have our little discussion and I tell you what things I was really excited about. And you're like, yeah, they never really get into that. (laughs) And that just is such a bummer. There's so much for me to love within the Star Trek universe, but I think that the way they deliver most of it is just, they didn't nail it with me until until Lower Decks. So I'm happy that's where you introduced me because that's, those are my people. With as much Star Trek as out there, most of it's bad. I mean, that's why the thing about <laughs> Trekkies mostly hate Star Trek. We do, we hate it. Like I told you, I've been watching some of the early Worf um, mm-hmm. threads recently and remembering man how good is this show when it's good oh yeah you know since I was a child I had all my ideas of what Star Trek the Star Trek show I would produce and, oh, yeah. and what I think is in alignment with what nerds with what Trekkies want I think uh, write in and tell me your, your fan fiction dreams nerds um, but Star Trek I think is better when it's more serious like when the aliens feel a little bit more real a little bit more authentically alien there's a reason that they're humanoid that's covered somewhere in the next generation so I accept that we, they gotta be humanoid I accept that we have rubber headed limitations to what yeah. we can create I accept that a universal trans- I accept the conventions of it mm-hmm. but I wish space felt a little bit larger I wish it yeah. felt a little bit more like space and mm-hmm. felt a little bit more limiting in what you know a starship could do in space yeah because the stuff that nerds really sink their teeth into that Trekkies do is like the um, the naval uh, combat scene between in the balance of terror between the Romulan captain and, and Captain Kirk or a similar uh, naval combat scene between Khan and Kirk in uh, the wrath of Khan so so the more scientifically real it feels, um, the more like dramatically weighty it feels. And that's what I've always wanted from Star Trek. And Star Trek seemed to make the decisions instead to be, how could we make it more Star Wars? 
Mm-hmm. And it ain't Star Wars. Yep. And that's not what we like about it. Mm-hmm. We wish that they would stop doing that. And it ain't Marvel. So please stop making it Marvel. Yeah, absolutely. And consequently, since much of Star Trek, after its you know highest points, feels like it's it's written by committee at a uh, at an you know who the studio heads seem to be running managing it by. Here's the laundry list of things that we need to see in it, so that we feel like it's most saleable in syndication. And consequently, you don't always get the best drama out of it. <laughs> oh yeah. But when you're able to take all that nerdiness and tell a really good morality tale among all the campiness, that's where it really shines. Which is why I thought the highlight of this episode was um, the caretaker being a deep, interesting, complex character and her moral decision that she had to make, which I think was the wrong call, but I do think it was the highlight of this episode. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, um, so all that being said... I'm not exactly hooked. Yeah, uh, because they I think do that's demonstrate. Where I as well. <laughs> yeah, they do demonstrate that. Uh, hey, the things that you really want to see, those aren't the things that we're interested in exploring. Mm-hmm. Which leads me to think, okay, cool, uh, Voyager, man, I should go rewatch that episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation that I really like. <laughs> <laughs> that's too funny. Okay, well, I think that's our review of the episode. Do you have any notes and quotes that you'd like to kind of hit on before we? move out well, of the, the episode. pilot as a whole do you consider it a success oh that's a good point oh ooh, that's hard um nope calling it unsuccessful timing remember i said i would not have watched all the way through the first episode there you go that's unsuccessful yeah yeah um there's a i mean and it's hard because you know we passed genre we passed characters we passed plot hook is where you know it really stumbled and that's you know unfortunately where it's becoming not a very successful pilot for me you know, not wanting to put it in 90 minutes is kind of a big deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I'm going to admit to some latent bias here. Sure, okay. Uh, if this was the only Star Trek thing that had been produced in a long time, um, I would have watched it. I understand, yeah. and I will, one of these days, I'll get around to watching uh, the majority of it. Oh, you haven't? No, I haven't. And okay. and this one for me is one like where Worf shows up in Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. and then it becomes the show that it's remembered for being. Yeah. Uh, when Seven of Nine uh, uh, pops up, in my opinion, it becomes the show that it's remembered for being. But mm-hmm. I find much of Voyager, so I find a lot of it kind of stupid. Yeah. Like, uh, Neelix is kind of an immature character. Yeah. Um, which is some, this is why I like Star Trek better than Star Wars, and I always have, is because it was adult. Mm-hmm. And this one has a lot of things that are very... Immature? Immature, yeah, and yeah. I never and I never get away from like when like when I watch the wrestling match between Seven of Nine and The Rock, that's like wow, that's oh, is a guy named Dwayne Johnson. We used to call him The Rock, <laughs> <laughs> President oh, yeah. Dwayne Johnson. That's not the thing anymore. He's not allowed. Is that right? No, I think I don't know anything about that. I just think he's really. I gotta say, I have a lot of respect for that guy. Oh, I think he got sued for using The Rock Johnson. Like he's not supposed to do that anymore. Oh, I don't know. Or not sued for it, but. He's not allowed to do that. I felt like he had earned his name. Oh, I agree. Yeah, which I think because he was The Rock and The Rock became Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Exactly. And after a while, he started seeing Dwayne Johnson and people knew who that was. Yeah. So, and he just seems like he's got a good sense of humor about his career. Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't take himself too seriously, but has really like proven his stripes as a, as a serious leading man and, uh, and has earned that name. But. Before he was a respected actor, he was in an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Yeah. Which I don't consider one of the highlights of the show. 
<laughs> All right. So anyway, um, as a whole, for your reasons, I agree. I think it's ultimately, I would say, I, I just don't really want to come. I don't really want to come back for that much more of it. Yeah. And I'm the one who should want to. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so going through my notes and quotes cards, there were just like, there weren't a bunch of them that we didn't already hit, but I did want to just hit on a couple of them. Um, when Tom Harris was, um, you know, first aboard the star, you know, the starship, um, he would, he had mentioned he was going and having food through the replicator mm-hmm. and he goes 14 varieties. Um, and they can't get plain tomato soup, right? Cause he goes through and he goes to order it and he's like, you know, tomato soup. There are 14 varieties. Do you want this? You know, with mushrooms, with rice, with da 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 da. He's like, really annoying. just plain soup. And <laughs> it's hot or cold. And he's just like, oh my God. <laughs> and even after all of that, all of those 14 varieties, and they still can't get it right. And they don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> what else? Um, another Paris one where um, they are in the waiting room and there's a sexy lady trying to, you know, distract him. And uh, Harry goes, Paris, she's only a hologram. And he goes, well, it's no reason to be rude. I have that one, too. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm still enjoying myself. Yeah, like... <laughs> so? so? Exactly. <laughs> like, And it was a very unexpected answer to that, <laughs> which I appreciated. It was cute. And I will say, to his credit, the moment he realizes that she is distracting him from mm-hmm. where they're trying to go, which yeah. will is ultimately the chamber that the actual caretaker is in. Yeah. Uh, he casts her aside just as quick. Oh, so yeah. he's, you know, he's business minded and we didn't really get into it in this episode, in our review, which we are doing him a disservice. He had the best arc in the episode. I mean, he was, yeah. he was kind of a change. He kept putting his, his life on the line to do heroic things. It saves Chakotay's life. So, uh, that was a little selfish, but sure. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> he just wants a life to be owed. He he put himself in high risk situations yeah. uh, and was not trying to skin out for his freedom. He's he's That's buying true. in. That's true. That's true. I'm I'm mostly playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any that you? I had a couple more, but I thought I'd let you. Okay. Um, so another one I thought was funny was I think it's Jaren, the guy who's the head of the witch people. Uh, Jaren, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, anyway, he says, how can we help someone so powerful they can create water out of thin air? <laughs> <laughs> Thought that one was pretty good. Um, uh, yeah, I think that is... Oh, and then just the medical program guy when he goes, doesn't anyone know how to power off a program when they leave? <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't get much of him here, but he, like I said, he ends up being a... Very iconic character in this. Yeah. With the best one-liners, too. It's ridiculous. They just didn't know the, know it very well, I guess, or represent it very well here. I think it's... I don't think they knew yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might be it. And I think it was... I think it's been well-documented, because I've read it multiple times, that <laughs> yeah. Robert Picardo, who plays the Doctor, had a lot of ideas about the character and the direction for the character. And yeah. would take those ideas to the writers and uh, have, you know, have them... It created a lot of content for him. Mm-hmm. So he was chief in um, making that a well-rounded character. That's awesome. Whereas poor Harry Kim never even gets a promotion. Aww. Sore subject for a lot of people still. Yeah. He's, he remains Ensign throughout the entire thing. Yeah, but he also wasn't allowed to direct an episode. And everybody else throughout the years of Star Trek were always given an episode to direct if they wanted 
like know, the to become a director. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, that's how Riker became a director. Oh, I didn't know. Jonathan Frakes, who's really like in fine form nowadays. Yeah. In his second career as a director. <laughs> he doesn't mm-hmm. get any acting work. Um, I So they didn't let him direct an episode. It makes me think, we, we, I don't know the story, of course. It makes me think that uh, he didn't get along well with the producers. Mm, might be, yeah. yeah. Uh, I have m- some of the ones that you had I already sure. noted. Uh, I wanted to note the uh, important quote, engage. Janeway says engage when she wants to go to warp, which is a Picard line. Engage. Yeah. That's not necessarily, I don't know if it's a Star Trek line. It was a Picard line. Oh. So they let her use it here, and I don't know if she sticks with it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh and I like when, it's funny that Paris is the most quoted character that we have from this episode. I mean, yeah, he's amusing. Yeah, he really is. I forgot, when I was a little kid, he was kind of my favorite. Because yeah. he's the one I felt like I could relate to the best, not knowing very much about it. He was just like the uh, American guy that I could mostly see myself in. Yeah. Um, and But I had the Doctor's action figure, so in the end of the day, the Doctor was my favorite. Sure. For good reason. Mm-hmm. Um. For the first time in my life, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I did like that. <laughs> okay, where does that leave us? That's it. I've got nothing else. Okay. Thanks for listening. We'll be catching you next week. I'm Riker. And I'm Shmi. And this is Pilots. Pilots.